0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together.
1: All right, thank you, Wes, and yeah, welcome to our new members. We're glad that you guys have decided to join us here at uh, North Bible Church over this past year and become members. Great to see all of you here this morning. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, Welcome to the first uh, worship service of 2022. I had to practice that one a few times because it's not something that we're used to saying yet. At least I'm not used to saying yet, but it does kind of flow off the tongue nicely. 2022. As we get into this new year, I think one of the things about the new year affords us to, to be able to do is to have a time of reflection and also to plan as we go forward. And this is what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to do things a little bit differently than we do on a typical Sunday as far as what we're talking about this morning. Uh, we're taking a break, obviously, from our current series in Revelation. We're going to talk a little bit today about what we anticipate over the coming year what we antici- and where we anticipate God leading us as we go forward into the coming year. We're going to talk a little bit about vision, the vision for 2022 here at North. And before we get into this, I want to say a few things. First of all, what I'm presenting to you this morning is is an understanding of where God is leading us. It's our understanding of where God is leading us. So this is not a divine decree or anything like that. I'm not coming up to you saying like, you know, God gave me this dream and it said, thus says the Lord. And so now I'm telling you that thus says the Lord. This is not a divine decree in a way that the Lord has told me this or the Lord has told me that. I don't like to talk in the terms anyway because I think it can be limiting and dangerous Um, it's not the kind of thing that can't be you know morphed over time and questioned and engaged with and those kinds of things but it is our best understanding of where we believe that God is leading us over the next year or so and, uh, and I think what we're talking about today is a direction that has been formed by a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion among our lead teams, and even, uh, even hearing from several of our members and leaders in the church. We've kind of taken this all together and tried to, tried to kind of discern where is the Spirit of God leading us over the next year or so. Uh, so that's the first thing. Secondly, I want to be clear about what I'm presenting to you this morning. When we say vision, it's in the understanding that God has already, or Jesus, I should say, has already given us the mission of the church. He has told us what the mission of the church is, and so it's the church, the local church's responsibility to basically to establish a vision that is going to kind of plan for us how we accomplish that mission. Because the mission that was given to Je- by, by Jesus to the church 2,000 years ago, after his resurrection and before the ascension, is the same mission that has been given to every church since that time. It's our calling as the church to understand what is our vision, answering the question of how do we accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us based on who we are as North Bible Church, based on the historical setting that we're in, based on the world that we live in and the setting that we're in now. Just to remind you, this is the uh, mission that Jesus gave the church uh, after his resurrection and before his ascension. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, he said this, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So then each local church, as we're establishing our vision, asks that question, how do we make disciples in the way that Jesus has called us to? How do we be witnesses in the areas that we're in, in the relationships that we're in, to the ends of the earth of what Jesus called us to be? extending God's love and grace in our lives through Christ, extending out from our closest relationships here on the earth to places that are far uh, away from us. And so this calling is both an individual and personal calling. It's also a community calling. It's a question of, as individuals who are following Jesus, how do we follow this in our lives? How do we uh, enact a vision of meeting that uh, calling in our lives? And then as the church, as a community, as we come together in this way, it's a question of how do we come together as a church, as a community, fulfilling that mission that was given to us? And so now that we, once we have the mission in view, the next step is forming a, vi- uh, uh, forming a vision, I should say, is understanding who we are as a church. As you might imagine, this next step is critical, We ask questions like, who are we as a church? What does it mean, what makes North distinct? What makes North unique? What is it about North Bible Church that God has called us to be in this place at this time? I wonder how you would answer that. What is North to you? What does North mean to you? Who are we as a church? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I've titled today's message, Where Do We Go From Here?, Right, and so one of the questions we have to ask is, what is here for North Bible Church? Right, what does it mean to be here where we are right now, and how did we get here? You know, I started uh, here back at North in August 2019. 2019, such a simpler time, wasn't it? I was still in my 30s in August 2019. Now I feel like I'm in my 50s, but I started here two years ago. And at that time, of course, I was replacing uh, Larry Anderson, who was my predecessor. He'd been here, the senior pastor here at North for, I think, 17 years or so. And there was a plan at that point to have a transition period. Where we would, Larry would transition out of his role, I would transition into his role, and it lasted about three months at that point by the time we completed it. And so it was like November or December by the time I was fully into the role of lead pastor here at North Bible Church. And of course with holidays and all the rest and end of the year stuff, it wasn't really until the beginning of 2020 that I felt like I had my footing here as lead pastor at North. And then we all know what happened just two short months later, right? COVID hit us, and by the second week of March in 2020, we were fully into virtual worship service mode. In fact, I remember that Sunday, uh, sitting in front of my computer in my home office at 6 o'clock in the morning, recording a sermon into my computer, and then we uh, sent that out along with some links to some worship songs, and that was our first wor- a virtual streaming, if you will, worship service. Right? We've come a long way since then. Uh, but that morning... I don't think any of us realized or anticipated the fact that that would probably start one of the most difficult seasons of church life that any of us have experienced. At least in my 20 years, I could say that that's true. And so when you add all of this, of course, to the political and social turmoil that we faced later on that year, it was all a perfect storm. And look, churches all over America experienced much the same thing that we faced. In fact, what we're realizing now is that there was a decline of about 35 to 40 percent of church attendance that happened throughout the U.S., and that was due to all kinds of things. It was due to COVID. It was due to kind of the way some people disagreed with how their church handled COVID or something their pastor said or a way that they were upset about mandates or whatever it may have been. And in some cases, it was just people who got comfortable being at home on Sunday. Day mornings for the first time in a long time and in some ways they've never come back but 35 to 40 percent think about that for a minute which resulted in thousands of churches throughout our nation actually closing their doors permanently that's kind of where we're at since 2020 in addition I heard the other day that studies are realizing now that the churches who have done the best throughout the pandemic are the larger churches so churches above a thousand and the smaller churches churches less than like a hundred in some cases less than 50 people For two different reasons. For one reason, the larger churches were more positioned to have uh, technology and staffing and all the things that they needed as far as infrastructure to go on to kind of a virtual worship service mentality and focus. So they were able to shift a little quicker because they had all those resources in place. For the smaller churches, they didn't have all the resources, but they had a greater sense of community and connection within the smaller church of less than 100 people or 50 people. It was a lot easier to keep track of the people who were, you know, 50 as opposed to maybe 500 as you know, we are a church that falls in the middle of those two ranges. In other words, the type of church and the size of church that that was most affected by COVID in that way and most affected by the pandemic. And so what has happened to us has been uh, something that has really happened throughout a lot of churches our size throughout the U.S., But I think one thing that we can be encouraged about is that our church has stayed viable and our church has actually continued to grow after kind of some resetting of some certain things. Like we just saw a video of a bunch of members who just, several members who just joined this past year. And so I think we have a lot to be excited about given our circumstances. And I would say this, that we are really kind of building towards those pre-pandemic kind of energy and numbers here at our church, which is exciting. Now, of course, what made things a little bit more challenging for us here at North is not only did we go through what everybody else went through these past couple of years, but we had a new pastor coming on, which created even more significant change before the pandemic. And on top of that, whether it was, you know, kind of a direction that we were going or teaching from the pulpit, when you've got a new pastor in there, it's just the reality that it's going to be difficult to build trust uh, initially. And so I think in a lot of ways, we struggled in that way of learning to get to know each other and trust one another and understand each other in that way. So what does all of this mean for North? I think one thing that we need to understand from all of this is that we are a church who has largely been in crisis mode for the past two years. And when I say the word crisis, I know that's a loaded term. I want to define what I mean by that. And so what I mean by that is this. Crisis just refers to a crucial or decisive point or situation, especially a difficult or unstable situation involving an impending change. Now, given all that we've been through, I think that's a fitting definition for what we've experienced over the past couple of years. We've been have many different decisive points that we've gone through over the past two years. Some might even rise to the level of crucial, starting with having a new lead pastor, and then, of course, given all that we mentioned before, uh, week to week, day to day, as leaders, we were making decisions in the midst of the pandemic that felt like a decisive decision point every single time that we were making it. And uh, I know there were questions about, you know, why did I go on a sabbatical? Me personally, a couple of months ago. Well, this is part of it. It's 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 difficult to lead through a crisis. To be a leader who leads through a crisis, you face a lot of uh, a lot of tension and a lot of critical decision points over a period of time. And I think a lot. I think having the opportunity to take that sabbatical was an opportunity to step back and step out of that for a minute, so that I could see it for what it was. And I think that's and I think that's important for us. To think about as well, as we are still a church that's kind of moving through this, I don't think we are a church in crisis, but I believe that we are a church that is facing a crisis. Does that make sense? There's a distinction there. A church in crisis is just focused on the crisis that typically comes from within, so it defines who you are. But a church who is facing crisis has the opportunity to see that crisis as really what I think God has used it for in our church, which is a refining time, a time for us uh, to refocus a time for some sifting to go on, and a time really for some revelation that's happened. Back in uh, September 2020, I quoted a pastor by the name of John Tyson. Uh, who said that in light of being in the middle of the continuing pandemic and then facing, of course, what would be a contentious political season, which he probably had no idea how contentious it would be at the time, uh, he said that the American church was headed into a massive season of revelation. I think a little over a year later, we can say that he was correct, maybe in some ways that he didn't even anticipate. But that massive season of revelation is what he was referring to as a season of crisis. And in terms of what that does to individuals and churches, it has a way of revealing or stripping away, and as I said, sifting. And the process is often painful, but I think it's often necessary in order for us to come out the other side. And if we can recognize these moments for what they are and rely on God's guidance and His correction and His grace, they become moments of opportunity and transformation. That's where I believe we are now. Now, depending on how we respond to them, they can be good and healthy because although we can't control what happens around us, We can control how we respond to what happens around us in the moment. Uh, In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro talks about what he calls walls in our lives, where he talks about these walls are significant times of difficulty or struggle or change that we may face. Individuals face these things. Churches sometimes face these walls. Uh, Entire worldwide populations can face these walls like we've seen with the pandemic. But he points out that when we face walls in our lives, our tendency, of course, is to try to avoid the wall. We want to climb over it. We want to go around it. We want to dig under it if we can to get under it and get away from it. And if we can't get around it, then we want to go through it as quickly as possible. We want to control the timeline for how long we're in the wall. But as he tells us, when walls happen in our lives, we can't avoid them. We have to go through them, and we can't control them. They last as long as God wants them to last. Listen to what he says, ultimately God is the one who moves us through the wall, and with that comes mystery. How and when God takes us through it is up to him, but this is is our role in it. We make choices to trust God, to wait on God, to obey God, to stick with God, and to remain faithful when everything in us wants to quit and to run, but it is his slow, deep work of transformation in us, not ours. I think which brings us to the moment that we're in right now. We are not fully on the other side of this yet. I don't know if you've noticed that. We don't get to control when the crisis ends. And even when the pandemic ends and how it ends, sociologists are telling us that the pandemic and the fallout of all that we've experienced in terms of the political, social, economic effects that we're dealing with right now could last three to five years into the future. And that's not even taking into account the psychological and spiritual effects which will undoubtedly last even longer. That's the bad news. The good news is that although we can't control the crisis around us, we can control how we react. As Scazzaro says, we can choose to trust God, to wait on God, to obey God, to be faithful, and to be transformed in this moment. The question is, how do we do this? And I, I would say that this time of revealing that we've gone through has helped us to get a pretty, pretty good idea of what we're facing at this point. And a pretty good idea of what God has revealed to us about who North Bible Church is and how we want to respond. And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time talking to you about today. And I'm going to frame this response as a vision for us in terms of three emphasis or challenges this year. Things that we're going to be focused on as a church, so from our leadership, but also things that I want each of us to consider in our personal lives. I believe these are biblical and healthy, and that as we commit to these as a church and individuals, I believe we'll see a little bit more of who God is calling us to be as North Bible Church. They are this, being rooted, being connected, and being equipped. So rooted, connected, and equipped. Let's start with rooted. Recently, I was listening to a podcast interview uh, with a guy by the name of Tim Elmore. I don't know if you know Tim or not. He runs an organization that trains leaders in all kinds of different sectors. So he trains business leaders, he trains church leaders, uh, he trains uh, public, public leaders, those kinds of things, government leaders. And he runs this organization. He was being asked during the interview uh, about the impact that he believes this pandemic would have on current generations. And he compared it immediately to the Great Depression of the 1930s in saying that it would have that kind of an impact on us, especially on our younger generations, that it would be a defining moment really in their lives, especially in their early lives. And if you know anyone who went through the Great Depression, if you've ever talked with anybody who was going through that even as a child, do you know how indelible, how much of an impact that made on their lives? Speaking of the Great Depression, he was doing some research that, uh, for a book that he was writing, and so he sat down with a group of people who had gone through the Great Depression, ages like 85 to 95. And he was asking them, what were your impressions? What do you remember about going through that time? And they said something really remarkable. They said, you know, I think one of the things, it was was a tough time, it was difficult, but one of the things that really left an impact on us is that we saw how our neighborhoods and communities came together to support one another and encourage one another. You know, we were at a place where, in many cases, we could barely feed our families and we got families together along along the streets that we lived in and we came together to survive. One 90-year-old man told a story that he remembered very vividly. And he said, there was one case that I remember where my parents were out in the middle of the street with a bunch of other neighbors that were there on the street. And they started coming to this conclusion where if we don't, ha- if we don't provide something for ourselves, we're going to starve. And so they were at this place where they decided, they looked at each other and they said, one guy stepped up and he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to take all that, all that you've got in your yard, turn it into a garden, and you're going you're to grow lettuce, And you're going to grow carrots. You're going to do the same thing, and you're going to grow tomatoes. And what they did is they ended up turning their backyards all into a garden that grew one crop in particular, one vegetable in particular, and they grew so much that they were able to provide for one another, their families, everybody had enough to eat, and they had enough left over that they took it to the local church, and the church gave it to people who weren't able to grow their own food and who didn't have their own resources available. And as Tim lamented, he tells a story, and he says, look, in the current pandemic, We haven't seemed to have drawn together like that. Instead, in many cases, we've pulled apart. We've seen the opposite happen, where at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody rushed to the store and hoarded toilet paper and bottled water and all the essentials that they thought they needed. And in fact, they took more than they needed, which left people who didn't have those resources without. And the striking part, really, I think, of the distinction between these two reactions is really this question of two responses. Where do these behaviors come from? And I would say this, that behaviors come from some kind of a belief. As human beings, those behaviors don't come out of just thin air, right? As human beings, we, we behave based upon what we believe and what we value. That's just who we are as human beings. And so it all comes back to what we believe, what we are rooted in, and what we believe is what we are rooted in, and, and, and what we are rooted in is what we will grow from what we believe will have a direct impact on how we love and how we live. And I think this is especially true when you go through a trying time, like a pandemic or a depression. That's part of the revealing process that goes on during times like this, which tests what we are rooted in, in terms of what we believe. And in these cases, the question would be, do we love our neighbor? In one case, there was an obvious display of loving neighbors, loving one another. Maybe in the other one, there wasn't as much of that. I think Jesus had something to say about that. The point is that during during a time where there is so much confusion and there's so much at stake, we need to know what we believe as much as we ever have because we'll be tested and we'll be pulled in different directions. And among all the information that's constantly coming at us through media and social media, how do we know what is true and what is not? So the question becomes, what do you believe and why? What are you really rooted in? Are you rooted in worldly ideologies or are we rooted in God's word to us? And how do you know the difference between biblical beliefs and worldly ideologies? How do we expose falsity with the truth instead of just subscribing to what we hear because so-and-so said it, because it's what I want to believe, or it fits a certain narrative that I have? We need to allow God's word to teach us again, and the well-rounded disciple knows the Bible, knows theology and knows how biblical theology informs your engagement with the world around us. That's what incorporated when Jesus says, making disciples and teaching disciples all that I have taught you. It was his words as well as the way that he lived out. So how do we live out that theology and that teaching? It's not enough to say, in other words, oh, I just follow Jesus and I don't worry about theology. As someone once said, every person has a theology. It simply means just what you believe about God. You either have a good one or you have a bad one. You either have good theology or bad theology in the end. We want to be people who understand exactly why we believe what we believe and how that impacts the lives that we live. So we're going to be a church that's dedicated to continuing to teach disciples of Jesus. Our first emphasis will be to place ourselves under the direction of God's Word. That means when Jesus agrees with our favorite media talking head or our political parties platform or the newest social theory or ideology we are going to listen to god rather than listen to men we're going to develop the spiritual ears and biblical knowledge to know the difference by actually spending time listening to god's word and allowing it to change our hearts and to change our minds this is what we've tried to do with our sermon series ever since i've arrived here the past couple years Whether it's been book studies or crucial questions series, our focus has been on digging as deep as we can on Sunday mornings so that we can equip disciples to carry out the calling of Jesus on their lives. Our current series is, is, by the way, probably one of the best examples of that in terms of uh, investing in the equipping of disciples. As I've said, the book of Revelation has been uh, not the easiest book to teach through. Uh, In fact, I think from week to week, I do more research and work than I have ever done on any sermon series since I've been preaching over the past 20 years. I'm sure Wes would agree with that in his own preparation. But the reason we're doing it, the reason we're working so hard at this is because we believe it matters how you equip and teach disciples of Jesus. And now that we're halfway through the series, I've heard feedback from people who have come and said, hey you know what, Uh, this series has inspired me to kind of do my own uh, research and work into the book of Revelation, which I've never really done before. And to me, I'm thinking, yes, that's exactly it. Because here's the thing, if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to take ownership of your own discipleship. A recent study found that the average American spends over seven hours per day on media. That's social media, TV, cable news, radio, podcasts, internet articles, all of it. Over seven hours per day And make no mistake, modern media does inform us, but modern media does more than inform us. It it forms us. Modern media is geared, in most cases, towards forming us, forming your ideas, forming your heart, forming your spirit and your soul. We get about 40 minutes per week on Sunday morning to teach you the gospel, and that's if you're here every Sunday morning, seven hours per day versus 40 minutes per week. So if you're going to invest in your discipleship, you are going to need something more than Sunday mornings. In addition to Sunday mornings, we have things that are available throughout our church. We have Bible studies, three Bible studies going right now, a women's Bible study, a men's Bible study, and a Wednesday night Bible study that we just started. It's a mixed study. Um, we We are also going to be looking this year at more options to add more classes on things like biblical interpretation and theology and mission and culture. We also, of course, have community groups that are meeting for the purpose of both rooting us in God's word and connecting us together as a community, which brings us to our next emphasis connected. I think personally for me, one of the most troubling things that was revealed in the American church over the past couple of years is what we thought was a strong community and what we thought was strong unity wasn't really as strong as we might have thought and wanted to believe. And although we'd like to believe that we were united in Jesus, we found out that our unity, Or lack thereof was based upon other things in Jesus, other things than Jesus in some cases. And look, we have seen our society around us fracture and reposition into new communities and tribes. And unfortunately, we've seen the very same things happening in the church in many cases people separating and retreating into smaller tribes who only have room in their tribes for people who think like them and and, and look like them. And it's become much more commonplace to cut off people who disagree with us or think differently than us on a social issue or a political issue, and the fracturing has cut off even the closest of relationships, things like friends, family relationships, and church relationships. I mean, and that's not hyperbole. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have seen friendships change in some way or maybe even lost friendships because during the pandemic, because of some disagreement that you had over masks or vaccines or some political or social issue? I've had that happen to friends of mine, and I know know a lot of us have as well. How many of you have stopped talking to family members or family members have stopped talking to you or you don't see them as much because of those same kinds of things? How many people have left churches that they have been a part of for years because of those reasons? Rick Warren, I think, hit the nail on the head when he said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. As Christians, I believe we should be concerned about this fracturing. And I would say that in the end, the biblical church is the church that is not afraid to embrace differences and diversity and disagreements about things like race and politics and masks and vaccine because those things are not our gods. And that's not our gospel. Instead, Jesus is, and his good news is what brings us together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28 says this For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, right? This is our unity. This is what calls us together. As many of you, anyone who has been baptized into Christ, they have put on Christ. So therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was writing, of course, to a first century church that was experiencing some pretty difficult division among all of these cultural things that he calls out. If Paul was writing this today, 2,000 years later in our setting, he might need to add something like no longer Republican or Democrat, no longer massed or non-masked, no longer vaxxed or not vaxxed. I think it's laughable that we'd have to add those things, but it just goes to show how far we have moved in the opposite direction. Instead of eliminating walls so that the gospel can reach all people, We've had a tendency to build even more walls and man-made walls at that. And while these cultural tribes continue to fracture and continue to build walls between the walls, the church has been called to be different than that. Engaging in community so that we can build bridges of gospel transformation to the communities that we live in. According to Ephesians 2.14, this is exactly what Jesus did. Broke down the dividing wall of hostility. So the biblical community that stays together around Jesus handles its differences with grace and love. And I think that's the difference between biblical community and merely a group of individuals. When we talk about biblical community, I think one of the things that has come to the surface, maybe we realized it before, maybe we're just seeing more of it right now, is that just because we gather in a room together, just because we call ourselves the same church, just because we enjoy the same coffee and donuts in the cafe, doesn't mean that we're automatically a biblical community. In many cases, we might just be a group of individuals, and there's a distinction between that. Biblical community takes investment, it takes humility, it takes sacrificial love. It takes commitment to one another. It takes having the difficult discussions when we have to have the difficult discussions so that we can hold together for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the glory of Jesus in the church, so that the body of Christ can continue to function together. In the Great Depression example, Neighbors who got together and provided for each other, provided not only for their neighborhood, but also for those who were in the wider community. And that can only happen with a community mindset, not with a group of individuals. Communities think about how to bless one another and consider the health and thriving of the community and in the individual decisions that they make. Groups of individuals think only about the preservation and the thriving of the individual, which leads to things like hoarding toilet paper, which is a metaphor that we could really pull out for a while. I won't go there, but... The truth is that if we are going to make it as a church through this wall, we need each other. We need the community that Jesus has given us here at North. We're gonna be a church who practices true community and works hard at maintaining biblical relationships. Showing grace and having tough conversations, but loving and respecting each other through it all. We're gonna love each other through our differences and commit to each other as human beings created in the image of God who are saved by Jesus and brought into the same family together for the glory and the witness of the church in the world. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to lie and slander each other, but we're going to speak words of blessing to each other and words of blessing about each other and to value and invest in real relationships that create a healthy community. Because here's the thing as a healthy community happens one relationship at a time. And a healthy community can be eroded one relationship at a time as well. And so in order to do that, we're going to, we're going to invest in community. We're going to say this is something that we are all called to invest in. Community doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intentionality, and it happens by focus, in, in, in being intentional about the way that we develop community within our church. And so community groups are going to continue to be a priority, not just another program that we do, but the expectation is that community groups are who we are here at North Bible Church. And one of the things I love about community groups is it's a training ground, a practice ground, for developing community. Because when you commit to that group, you commit to that group through all the different things that you go through in life. Many of you have been through, if you've been in a group for years, many of you know what it takes to be a part of a group sometimes. It can be uh, uh, difficult, it can be trying, it can be full of joy obviously in a lot of ways, but you're walking with people through real life things that they are experiencing. That requires investment, it requires sacrifice, it requires commitment in your relationships. Sometimes you sit down and you have a disagreement over a Bible study. You have to learn to have those tough conversations and forgive one another and love one another with grace, coming to the cross and coming to God's word to understand who does Jesus want us to be. Community groups are hugely important in that way. And I wanna say this, for those of you who are mainly joining us online for worship, let me say that I understand that some of you have uh, health issues that prevent you from coming in person. However, I know that there are others of us have just, just put it out there Just say it this way. Some of us have just become comfortable with doing church from home. Because it's a lot more comfortable to sit in your PJs on your couch with your coffee than it is to get up on a morning when it's 32 degrees or whatever it was this morning. Get dressed, get in your car and drive over here. But here's the thing is that just like we can develop good habits, we can develop bad and unhealthy habits as well. And if we're talking about what it means to be in community, we need to invest in being here embodied together. And it's really hard to do that when you're just online all the time. And so if you are at risk, uh, I'm not saying to put your health at risk, but if you are not at risk, we need you back. And now is the time. It's time to really think about how essential your church family is to your spiritual life and how essential you being here and you being a part of this is essential to the health of our church as well. Because community relationships are not a one-way street, they're a two-way street. We need everybody to be here to encourage one another. And finally, the last challenge this morning is equipped. You know, the last part of that Great Depression example is that the neighbors move their plan into action. Like all the stuff that I'm saying up here this morning, laying out a plan, laying out a vision, laying out challenges, or whatever we were talking about here this morning, remains just good ideas unless we actually do something about it. In the Great Depression example, they laid out a plan, right? They had a plan in place. You grow the lettuce, you grow the tomatoes, you grow the carrots. But if only the guy who, you know, was supposed to grow the lettuce was the only one who grew his crop, everybody would just have lettuce. Nobody would have tomatoes, nobody would have carrots. And in fact, they wouldn't have enough probably to go around so that everybody could be full. They certainly wouldn't have enough to actually bless their outside community with. And so they needed the guy who grew tomatoes. They needed the guy who was supposed to grow carrots to grow carrots. If you're the carrot guy, you need to grow your carrots, right? Nobody gets, if you don't, nobody gets carrot, carrots and the plan falls apart. 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us that as a community, the church is one body with many parts, That everyone who is in the church has a part and a purpose and a role to play. And so a vision is just a vision, it's a plan, it's words if we cannot actually move forward with any action as a result. We believe that if you are here with us at North, you're here with us for a reason. God has placed you here and given you something to contribute. If you don't grow your carrots, the reality is we just won't have carrots. Which means that somebody else has to grow more tomatoes. Or we go hungry in some way. And we don't have enough to feed ourselves. We won't certainly have enough to give out into the community. Now, you may know that for the past several years, around this time of year, Google publishes their most searched phrase. Have you seen this? Google has been doing this over the past several years where they publish what's the most searched phrase, what's the most Googled phrase worldwide throughout the year. Did you see what the phrase for 2021 was? They ran a commercial During the football games, that's how I saw it. But uh, anyway, uh, the phrase was, how to heal. How to heal. The most Googled phrase worldwide this past year. Now, we know, of course, that rates of mental illness have skyrocketed, and the CDC reported all the way back in fall of 2020 that one out of four young adults contemplated suicide over over the previous month. Look, we live in a world that is hurting, And we know the one who has called himself the Healer, the capital H Healer, and said, I came for the sick so that they might be healed. It can't be any more on the nose than that for the church this year. How to heal, and we know the one who brings true healing. We live in a world that is hurting. And so personally, we need to be challenged over fighting over our little preferences and comforts within the church. We need to remember again that the church is here for the world. And that reminds me of a metaphor that I heard a long time ago about the church, which said that the church either tends to function like a museum or a hospital. Maybe you've heard this before. It functions more like a museum when it's set up as an attraction for people to come and see. right? Come and pay your entrance fee and see all of our beautiful displays. See our music, our production, our preaching, our programs, and our wonderful, pristine people. It's a lot of P's a lot of P words in that. When it comes to church, a museum is honestly a lot easier to run because it's always quiet. It's typically quiet. I won't say always, but typically quiet. It's calm with everything in order. It's not messy. It's always clean. It always has that nice soft music playing in the background. It always smells really nice. It has the nice marble floors that are buffed to a shine. It's really one of those comfortable places that you can be The problem with the museum is that it's usually full of relics and dead things, though. Things that are no longer relevant and functional in the real world, but just show us how things used to be or how things might have been at one time. On the other hand, when a church functions like a hospital, it is set up to be a place where sick people can come and get healing from the great physician. The thing about hospitals is that they are hard work. Helping people heal can be messy and tiring and difficult and frustrating. And even after you give people everything that they need to heal, they might, still not, they, they might still not make it. And it's uncomfortable, and it sometimes smells bad, but its goal is to get to the sick and to help them get well. Its goal is to get to the dying and to help them receive life. Honestly, if I'm telling you the truth, I like museums a lot more than I like hospitals, especially if I'm going, you know, like as a tourist somewhere. If I go to New York City, I'm not going to Google like what's the local hospital so I can walk through the ER for the next, for the next four hours during my afternoon. Right? I'm going to go to the Met. I'm going to go to the uh, Museum of Natural History, a place like that. And I'm sure you feel the same way. But when it comes to church, I'd much rather be a part of one that acts like a hospital with all the messiness and work and discomfort that comes with healing than a museum where all we do is sit around and talk about the relics of the past until we become relics ourselves. I think this picture, I came across this picture earlier this week, and I think it incorporates or encapsulates the di- distinction between a museum and a hospital. It says, I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. Religious people tend to like museums, but in order for churches to be hospitals, we have to seek out and welcome messed up people we ourselves, because here's the big secret, we ourselves are messed up people as well. We're going to be a church who is a blessing to each other and allows that blessing of our work to overflow in our community as a result. In order to do that, we are challenging you today to grow your carrots. How are you going to grow your carrots? We talk all day long. We can talk all day long about great strategies and ideas about how to reach our world. But in the end, If we don't have anyone who is willing to go out and be a blessing, to grow enough carrots to be a blessing, it just remains an idea. I've found that good discipleship in my years and my experience naturally leads to people who are on mission in our communities. So we're going to dive deeper into into good, solid discipleship. We're going to dive deeper into being connected in a way in which the body of Christ resonates and radiates the love and mercy and grace of Christ and the good news of Jesus into our community. And look, every church, I believe this, every church has enough to do what God has called us to do. So we don't need to wait. We can do this now. God has given us everything that we need to do to fulfill the mission that he has called us to fulfill because we have plenty to bless the world with. And so we're going to look for opportunities to bring healing in the world around us. Not just only as a hospital that takes walk-ins, but as a mobile triage unit that is out in the world where people need healing. And in order to do that, we need to be more mobile, and we need you in order to do it. We also have to be willing to listen to those who are hurting, even when they don't believe like we do, so that they have the opportunity to see and hear about the love of Jesus. And again, I want to remind you that this is the direction that we're pointing to in terms of being rooted, of being connected, and being equipped. And we're continuing in our need for God's grace and direction, but we need you to continue to pray and to engage with us here at North. We still believe in the power of the church to make an impact for eternity. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus gave that mission to the church, he knew that there would be tough times. He knew there would be pandemics. He knew that broken people would be representing his church. But he called us anyway. And he told us at the same time, I will be with you to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but for me, there could be no greater calling and confirmation than that. So that's what I want to say to you. Pray for our church. Continue to pray for direction and vision as we go forward. Again, this is not a thus says the Lord message. This is a this is where we see God leading us message. So it's open for change and morphing, change of direction, however it may go, however the Spirit leads us. Secondly, get involved, however that looks like for you. If you haven't been to a starting point class yet, it's the perfect place to start. Wes just announced that earlier this morning. We have a starting point class happening next Sunday. It's right after second service. We feed you lunch, and it's a great time to get to know our church and take that initial step to getting connected and involved. If you're not in a community group, call Wes. Email Wes. Grab Wes by the beard today and say, Wes, I want to be in a community group. He will take care of you. He will get you into a group. If you're ready to grow your carrots somewhere, get online. You can talk to Wes, but you can also get online. We have a form that you can fill out there that's just a general form about how I can get involved and how I can serve at North. We need more people growing carrots around here. Trust me. And finally, give financially. Look, churches... Have bills to pay and mortgages and utilities and staff to keep the doors open, just like any other organization that exists on this planet. We are not immune from those things, and so if you are a part of us here at North, we're asking you to step in and give financially. We need that in order to continue to support what we're doing here. It's just the reality of it. So as we look towards 2022, I'm thankful. I, I, I'm 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 encouraged. Um. Despite the tone at times today, I know that we are the church that God has called us to be and I'm excited for what he's bringing next. I Can't wait to be up here this time next year talking about all the wonderful things that God did through North Bible Church and giving thanks for the way that he was faithful as he called us out. Let's begin this year by coming to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning laying out our best Uh, understandings of what you would have this church to be, also knowing at the same time that we see through a mirror dimly as far as your will goes. And so we ask for continued direction by your Spirit. Um, Father, these are not new ideas that we're bringing. It would be maybe a problem if they were. It all goes back in many ways to our original vision statement here at North, to love God to love people and love the world. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continue to make this, uh, to, to, to just um, impact this message on our hearts and our minds in the way that you need to do it. Whether it needs to be new and fresh in our hearts or whether it needs to just awaken something that has been in there for a while that has kind of gone dormant and fallen asleep with all that we've struggled with over these past couple years. Father, remind us that in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the wall, in the midst of the difficulty, You call us to trust You. You call us to obey You. You call us to be open, to be transformed and refined by You. And Lord, You do it in a way that is loving and gracious, but also in a way that calls us forward in a challenging way. And so where we need to be challenged, Spirit, would You challenge us and awaken us? So that we can be the church that Jesus had in mind when he called us all those thousands of years ago to be the church that makes disciples and goes out into the world as his witnesses. Here in our closest relationships, here in our church relationships, in North Scottsdale, state of Arizona, our country, and to the end of the earth. Lord, thank you for all that you have done in the rich history of this church. We know that as we've gone through a kind redefinition of who we are and a refining of who we are, what counts is this moment right now and how we move forward? And so we ask for your guidance going forward. We ask, Lord, that you would shine a light and that you would call us into places that may be scary, places that may be difficult, places that may challenge us and make us uncomfortable. But would you remind us of those words that Jesus said to his disciples, who I'm sure were full of fear in that moment, where he said, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Lord, you never leave us. You are with us. You are present in the calling, and you are present in the mission. So we ask for a greater level of faith to follow you and to see you where you're moving. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first...
1: Again, Happy New Year to all of you. Great to see you here this morning. I want to encourage you that if there is something that kind of uh, struck you as you wanted to kind of move forward this morning, you can go over to our guest services counter as you leave this morning. You can find out more information on how to sign up for Starting Point, how to get more information on community groups, all those things that we talked about here this morning. Uh, the Hoshawaras are our prayer partners here this morning. So if you need prayer as you leave this morning, they're there to pray with you about whatever may be going on uh, in your life, maybe a family member's life. And then we also want to encourage you, speaking of prayer as you leave this morning, always we have our prayer cards that are available for you as you leave here this morning. If you fill out one of those prayer request cards and get it into the offering stands before you leave here this morning, and make sure to uh, that, that makes that that makes it so that we can get it to the right people. And make sure that we get it to our teams who pray over those things each week, and we do consider it a privilege. An opportunity to be praying with you about all the things that are going on in your lives. We know there's some tough things that we're even carrying into the new year. Just because the calendar flips over to a new year doesn't mean that everything becomes new, right? There's still things that we're carrying, and it, and it becomes weighty, and so we want to join with you in that prayer ministry. So again, thanks for joining us online. Thanks for joining us here this morning. We love you guys. We're praying that you have a great start to your new year, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks.